0: which public-facing systems are the most risky, Radiohead's not-OK okay computer, and analysing the Primera Blue Cross settlement. These stories and more, in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Some new research out of the UK this week. Security firm Rapid7 did an assessment of the public-facing systems of the FTSE 250, the largest publicly traded companies on the London Stock Exchange, and came up with some interesting findings around the impact of cloud and security. Here's ISMG's executive editor, Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz, with the details.
1: Businesses that have weaknesses in their IT infrastructure leave themselves exposed to easy hack attacks. Such weaknesses can include poorly configured, public-facing, internet-connected services. So how bad is the problem? To answer that question, at least on a national level, security firm Rapid7 scanned the public facing systems for the FTSE 250, which represents the 250 largest publicly traded firms on the London Stock Exchange. Todd Beardsley is director of security at Rapid7.
2: I couldn't tell you before we started this, like how many internet facing services an average large company exposes on the internet, things like websites, email, DNS hopefully not FTP, but sometimes FTP, things like that, right? Things you'd expect to find on the internet. And now I have an answer and it's 35, 35 services on average across the FTSE 250.
1: I spoke with Todd at the recent InfoSecurity Europe conference in London. He says there's good news from the study.
2: 35 seems pretty reasonable and manageable for like, you know, companies of this size. It doesn't count things like hosted cloud provider. This is all IP space that is attributable to these companies, which actually is like the hardest part of this research is is figuring that out.
1: But 35 was the average. Todd says the FTSE 250 breaks out organizations by numerous industries, and these sectors had wildly different averages.
2: There's. A few outliers, like gross outliers in there. So, like, there's one like equity services firm that has like something in the neighborhood of like 1,200 uh, exposed services, which is an IT department I would not wish on my worst enemy. Uh, that would be awful.
1: <laughs> one bright spot in the UK, Todd says, is that unlike years past, there's virtually no SMB or Telnet being exposed to the internet.
2: Which is good because, like, this is telling me that the UK kind of took it on the chin with WannaCry and friends and they've really gotten the message like we need to be you know filtering this out firewalling not exposing this stuff by accident actually looking to see what we have exposed things like that um so that's so that is like the bright star
1: but for big british businesses information security posture it's not all wine and roses. We do
2: see attack traffic emanating from the FTSE 250 because we also have a bunch of honeypots. And so we're able to attribute that you know, malicious traffic. And that tells me a couple of things. One, FTSE 250 does get owned every once in a while, um, you know, constituent companies in there. And we will pick that up in our honeynets. But we also see a minority of traffic, which was surprising, of like misconfiguration traffic, basically is what we call it.
1: Todd says this is a consequence of organizations moving more of their operations to the cloud. While that can reduce cost and also improve security, there can also be some gotchas. We live in the
2: cloud, you know, and we, our IP address moves around out from under our honeypots like all the time. And sometimes we land on an IP address that someone else was just using. And so there might be like a cache DNS or like, oh, hopefully not, but like a you know, hard-coded IP address or something we will suddenly get like connect strings for databases with like usernames and passwords. And we say, thank you for the username and password, I guess, Um that was not cool. <laughs> um, we tend to let them know uh, that we saw it, if we can attribute it like quickly to the offending organization. But this kind of like self-compromise is something that's happening a lot more often than we were expecting. Like we were expecting all malicious traffic and like scanners like us, right? But the accidental like self-breach uh, does happen somewhat routinely, not, a ton of time but like if you want to you know learn secrets hang out in the cloud for a while and eventually someone will tell you one
1: this accidental self-breaching can be caused by fast flux in the cloud todd says noting that some ip addresses might only stick around for an hour before getting reassigned fast flux doesn't spell doomsday rather it's something that organizations need to be aware of so that their administrators and especially devops teams can do something about it so what else did Rapid7 find?
2: I'd say the biggest surprise overall, aside from the good news of, of SMB, was that in the UK, ftse 250, which is made up of you know, name brand companies, there is a startling lack of HTTP to HTTPS 302 redirects. I can land on an HTTP page by just, you know, and we do this by typing in the URL without the HTTP colon slash slash part. We will land on these name brand companies and never get redirected, which means I'm getting all my session data, all my cookies being sent to me in the clear, which is a bummer because this opens me up to attack by people in a privileged position, man in the middle of things. But like that includes, you know, anonymous Wi-Fi, which is actually used a lot in Europe. This is a normal thing for people to do.
1: Todd's takeaways, of course, don't only apply to British businesses. Every site should be ensuring that it's using 302 redirects to take HTTP users to HTTPS sites instead. Also watch out for cloud service providers' fast flux practices and constantly review which services are being publicly exposed to ensure that the likes of Telnet, SMB, and other protocols don't give attackers an easy way in. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz.
3: You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news.
0: It hasn't been a great week for Radiohead. On Tuesday, the British band made it known that some early demo material was stolen from singer Tom York and that the perpetrator is holding it for ransom. Here's Jeremy Kirk, Managing Editor Security and Technology, with more.
4: Hacking and extortion attempts against organizations have unfortunately become all too commonplace. But an unlikely victim went public this week, the revered British band Radiohead. Radiohead guitarist Johnny Greenwood announced on Twitter on Tuesday the theft of 18 discs worth of material from his bandmate Tom York. The band got hacked last week, he writes, with the perpetrator reportedly demanding $150,000 in exchange for the material. Unfortunately, Greenwood doesn't provide details about the hack or more information about the alleged ransom attempt. In response, Radiohead ended up releasing the material with the proceeds going to an environmental group. But was Radiohead really hacked and extorted? As a Radiohead fan, the story was too good not to dig in further. I'm not confident that I'm much closer to the truth, but there does appear to be a more plausible scenario for how the files leaked and the band may not have actually been ransomed. I reached out on Twitter to John in New Jersey, who's part of a Radiohead fan group. He had the backstory on how the whole hack ransom scenario came about. It started on a forum called Leak This. A known bootlegger going by the name Zimbra offered to sell 18 hours of unreleased Radiohead music from the OK Computer era. Live tracks were $50 each, and other tracks between $500 and $800. John tells me Radiohead fans were excited about this but wary. On one hand, the allure of so much unheard material was strong. That. At the same time, fans were concerned about trading in pirated material and wanted to alert the band. John says Zimbra subsequently seemed spooked by all the attention. Zimbra ended up posting the files to leak this without payment. Then, Zimbra disappeared. So how did Zimbra get the files? It's unknown, but John has a theory. Two years ago this month, Radiohead released an anniversary box set of OK Computer Era songs. Leading up to that release, lead singer Tom York's cache of mini discs may have been pulled out of the archives and copied. I flicked Greenwood a question on Twitter asking if perhaps a studio insider pinched the files leading up to that release, and if they've just circulated underground since then. I'll admit I found it fun to tweet one of my guitar heroes and call it work. Sadly, there's been no response from Greenwood yet, but in the meantime, I'm going to dig into the 11-minute version of Paranoid Android on Minidisc number 5. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk.
0: Finally, what stands out most about a proposed $74 million settlement of a class action lawsuit against Primera Blue Cross in the wake of a 2014 data breach that affected 11 million individuals? This week, technology attorney Stephen Tepler spoke with ISMG's executive editor, healthcare info security, Marion Colbersuck McGee. Here's some of that interview.
5: So, Stephen, when you look at the proposed settlement in the Primera case, what's most significant to you?
3: What stands out is an increasing attention to not only the taking care of the victims, but taking care of business internally within the organization to make sure, A, that there are resources directed to fixing or mitigating or mediating the security problem, but also that there are ways to establish milestones and auditable milestones to make sure that what is promised is actually done.
5: As you said, the proposed Primera settlement does include specific things that the company should be doing in order to improve its security. And under the settlement or the proposed settlement, the company is to spend $14 million annually over the next three years to bolster its security. And that list includes steps such as Primera, protecting its archived data in certain ways, implementing encryption and multi-factor authentication, and a host of other things. What do you make of these terms? For instance, corrective actions are common in settlements with government regulators like the Department of Health and Human Services in data breach cases. But are these prescriptive security measures becoming more common in civil lawsuit settlements involving data breaches, and why?
3: They are and one of the reasons is that you're seeing multiple data breaches. You're seeing serial data breaches. You're seeing data breaches that that should have acted as poster children for data breaches that happen subsequently. So in a way, these prescriptive or proscriptive, depending on how you want to look at it, activities in terms of an agreement or perhaps even a consent order is something that or consent decree are things that we're seeing. We are seeing that on the ADA side for visually impaired individuals suing websites that don't have proper visual impairment accommodations. And these lawsuits are winding up with consent decrees. And these are decrees which actually require step-by-step monitored, audited, corrective actions to be taken by the defendants in these cases, by the organizations in these cases. So I'm really not surprised at the trend at all
0: that's it for this week's ismg security report theme music is by ithaca audio i'm nick holland catch you next time